This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 491. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined today by our producer and master of all things behind the scenes, Matthew Marister. Yeah, man, it's a good thing you guys keep me behind the scenes. I'm not a I'm not a in front of the scenes kind of guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but uh, yeah, it's going to be a cool episode. Um, I, I was just telling you that I'll tell the listeners right now. Like, I got my mute button on on, on uh, at the ready here because I I've, I've been struck with the COVID. So, uh, just in case I got to you know cough or clear my clear my throat or something, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll mute it so you guys don't hear me hacking away over here. <laughs> we are <clears throat> we are brutal taskmasters. We, we require our guys to work even when they have COVID nineteen. <laughs> I think you guys gave me none. No, it's all good. I, I mailed you a letter to Ohio. <laughs> I spit in it. Had ricin, COVID, <laughs> okay. Oh boy. All right. Don't make. I don't mean to make light of COVID, but uh, um, the reality is, by and large, most people aren't terribly affected by it. Um, statistically, that is true, and. Uh, my own family and household had it back in November, and Matthew and his family have it now, uh, which we're sorry about, but we're also really glad that they are doing well. And sure. Matthew is, in fact, a trooper, as Elkie comments on Facebook, uh, because he here he is. He's <laughs> a little stuffy, got a, got a cough or whatever, and he's recording a podcast. We'll get through it, man. We're good. We're good. <laughs> Uh, today's episode is sponsored and brought to you by Laser X, the the ultimate dry fire software, in my opinion. LASRAPP.com is the website where you can find it and learn more. Uh, this is the software that I use and feature in the Shooter Ready Challenge, uh, which is found on ShooterReadyChallenge.com. And we just published earlier this morning the, the latest and greatest shooter ready challenge drill. So you can go check that out, watch that, follow along and maybe use it for some dry fire practice ideas. And I'll tell you, if you just will do those things that we share in shooter ready challenge practice on a regular basis, you will improve your shooting skill dramatically. This month's drill is what I'm calling breaking down transitions because we, we, we kind of go into the nuts and bolts of how to transition from target to target efficiently. And so uh, it, it's a, it's, it, it's pretty heavy on the transition side. Obviously that's what the focus is. Um, some people may wonder why that's relevant. Even like if you honestly look at a lot of common civilian based DGUs or justified saves, you know, defensive gun uses, um, it's not common that you have, you know, that where you shoot multiple people as part of a self-defense incident. Um, but we're going to explain why we should be practicing transitions, what the relevance is and what the skills are that are learned that benefit us in real life shootings. Okay. Uh, so <clears throat> we'll get to that, but still again, sponsor of that LASR. X or laser X software for dry fire training, particularly where you want to get metrics and data from your training. Also sponsor of that is next level training, nextleveltraining.com purveyors of the fine cert pistols that uh, are, you know, and I actually use a P320 model in, in the video because I do, you know, I kind of show a couple different ways we can set up and do these transition drills. Um, cert pistol becomes really handy when we have multiple shots uh, in a string that we're trying to do and, and get all that data captured in the laser X software. We have to have some kind of laser beam emitting device for this, for the camera and for the software to pick up and read and therefore record that data. So when we're using just our normal carry pistol, for instance, many of us are using striker fired guns, only gives us one shot. And I do demonstrate 
one way that we can do some transition practice and get some measurable data, including even when we can only fire one laser shot at one time between, you know, cycling the, the slide. Um, also, thought I'd mention that readyupgear.com, another uh, uh, sponsor, if you will, I guess. I don't know if it's recognized officially as such, but Ready Up Gear is now providing the um, uh, the giveaway, the prize that is awarded to a random, randomly selected lucky winner once per month. The way you know, there used to be a different way that we were running that that prize giveaway, <clears throat> but uh, now the way this is working is if you go to shooterreadychallenge.com, go to the bottom of the page, there is a form to fill out so that you are entered into the giveaway all right and it's just name and email address you, you get added to the shooter aid challenge.com uh, 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 newsletter if you will so you'll get notified when the shooter aid challenge drills are published each month and then you're automatically included in the random drawing for a special prize from readyupgear.com <clears throat> so uh, sponsors that those are the sponsors of Shoot Ray Challenge and also of this podcast here today. Let's get into it. Why we should practice transitions, and so this idea of transitioning between targets. How can we do that effectively, efficiently, and what do we gain from that? Matthew, what's your first? Um, like I, I don't know. I, Tell us, where, where should we start with this? <clears throat> yeah, I guess um, something that you mentioned, I, I, I'm a simple-minded guy. So, um, I, you know, you, you kind of let in and talked about transitions and said, like, how can we do them effectively and efficiently? Um, and I think that's like, we can't overlook the importance of of that. Like, before we even get into like what we're actually focusing on, I think if we look at it through the lens of how can we be efficient and effective with it, um, with any technique we're talking about, I think that's where our mind should be. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, mm -hmm. it's super important because we could talk about like fundamentally how you do it and things, but if we don't understand, like there, there there's a lot of different techniques that you can use, but, um, the ones that are efficient efficient are going to be most effective in a, in in the in keeping you know shooting quicker and in the context of all the stuff that's going on in a, in a deadly force situation or defensive use of your handgun all the stuff that's going on you need to be efficient you need to be make it simple right and so i think um i think that's where kind of like where my mind starts is how can we do it efficiently um so we can be be effective mhm mm yeah. <clears throat> the first thing, so let's let's just start breaking this down. Now, uh, before I get too far along, I do want to make sure I give credit to my man, Charlie Perez of Big Panda Performance, uh, who was on the podcast not too long ago. And the reason why I, I got to give him credit is because I did a recent dry fire kind of dry fire tune-up session with him. Um, he spent quite a bit of time working with me, particularly on movement and also some transition stuff. And, and, <clears throat> That kind of inspired this month's shooter aid challenge drill. I'm like, ah, there's there this is this is good stuff. Like, let's take that to to our folks that uh, follow and and use the shooter aid challenge for their own dry fire practice. I mean, many of the concepts <clears throat> that Charlie worked with me on were stuff that I was already familiar with, but um, it gave me some additional context um, that I think is is very valuable. Let's start with first. Let's actually explain the why behind transitions, okay? And we've we have talked about this somewhat before, Matthew. You even remarked before we uh, kicked this off that you're like, "Hey, we've we've kind of talked about transitions and transition related stuff in the past." And that that is true. Um, why this is relevant, in case you've missed past episodes or if the way we explained it didn't quite click with you, transitions, I believe. And I've gotten really good feedback from people when I've talked with them about this and they've, you know, including those that have been involved in actual shootings and they've responded quite favorably that, Hey, I think you're onto something with that. The idea with transitions is that if we, while we may not necessarily be engaged with multiple attackers, although it 
does and can happen. And while we may not necessarily be shooting multiple attackers, which is somewhat rare, although can happen. All right. Like even if you look at a lot of uh, captured footage of, of shootings, um, especially civilian oriented ones, like you got one, one good guy against say three bad guys that are trying to rob him or attack him or something. A lot of times once the gun is drawn and the first shots are fired at usually what is the perceived greatest threat of the three threats. Um, he, you know, sometimes we see these go down where you really only see one of these three thugs. I, I'm using three. It could be any number, obviously. But you, it, it, we see examples where maybe just one of them is obviously armed, um, conspicuously armed. Um, but, uh, you you know, or or you have maybe multiple attackers that are, in fact, all armed, but maybe one of them is... You know, there's greater proximity to you as the as the as the good guy, uh, or for whatever reason, you just perceive one of these individuals as being the primary threat or primary target. <clears throat> My point being is that I see this play out quite regularly, where as soon as the gun comes into play and the first shots are fired, they're usually directed at he who is perceived to be the greatest degree of threat. And usually, once those shots are fired, the rest of them scatter. Now, it doesn't mean it's always the case, right? There was a shooting just out of Chicago that involved a firefighter, I believe, captured on a surveillance video. And he only had, I think, like a five-shot revolver, which was unfortunate for him because he might he, he may have benefited from having more rounds. Um, there's also some tactical errors that he made. In fact, John Correa on active self-protection did a great breakdown of that shooting uh, where he you know showed that... <clears throat> He, in his belief, was that the fatal shots. So this firefighter did die um, after he was involved in this shooting. He he managed to successfully fight back against these criminals and get them to to scatter, to run off uh, before they could, you know, carjack him or or rob him or whatever it was they were trying to do with him. And um, but he initially had cover, but then he emerged from cover as he continued to engage these threats. And they think that at some point, one of the rounds while he was exposed uh, did connect with him and then, you know, cost him his life. Again, he was able to defend himself. Um, Again, I I feel like the five rounds or whatever that he had was probably um, a bit on the low side. And he had three attackers and they were each of them armed with with firearms themselves. So, again, all right. So that's a. you know, even that could be a bit of an outlier of an example, but it was recent and it is relevant. So beyond the obvious, we we could potentially have more than one threat to shoot. That's not where my focus where my main focus is when I'm talking about transitions. My main focus is that it teaches us to shoot and acquire a, a, a new a holy different and fresh sight picture every time that we shoot. And it's different than when you're just static on one target, because when you're just static on one target and you're firing multiple shots at the same target, all you really need is really solid recoil management. And you can get pretty consistent, reliable hits on that target, even if you're not using your sights all that effectively. All right. Now, I always believe that every shot should be connected to a sight picture, but point is on a single static target, we can get away with a lot more. When we have multiple targets, it forces us to go from target A, right, fire a shot, to target B, fire a shot, to target C, fire a shot. And each time is a different target acquisition with its own unique sight picture. And why this is relevant is that is what shooting a moving target is like. I had this realization when I had the opportunity because this is this, this doesn't come along commonly because not many ranges are equipped with this type of uh, setup. But when I had the opportunity to shoot a moving target, like a running man style target, um, you know, I've, I've had the privilege and it's always been at law enforcement ranges, ironically enough. Um, but I had that realization as I was shooting that running man target 
I was like, oh, this is like as if there was a target there and a target there and a target there and a target there. All I got to do is in between is just continue tracking this, this moving target. But when I shoot him here and then here and then here and then there, it's just as if I had four targets set up in those different locations. So <clears throat> that was the, re- the kind of the realization that transitions can help, I believe, prepare us for shooting and addressing moving targets, which is something that's hard to do for many of us because a lot of our ranges don't either have that setup or that capability. Uh, we don't have the, uh, the resources of, you know, at our disposal to, to make, to make use of that. And by that, another way to get practice in this would be to run force on force, but that's, you know, requires specialized gear and is, you know, also somewhat of a specialized, uh, form of training that not all of us have access to, at least on a regular basis. So, sorry, I got kind of long-winded there, but that's the context that, and and so I guess already in the episode, we have just answered the question that is the title of the episode, why we should practice transitions. But I hope you stick around because now it comes down to how can we get better at transitions? Mm -hmm. Why I think sets the tone and the stage as to why this is relevant. Why, if you can, you should be practicing transitions. Yeah, I, I'm glad you, you brought that up because um, a lot of times, I mean, I've talked about this with, with students and we'll talk about, you know, like, okay, we're going to work on shooting multiple targets, transitioning through different targets. And the the mind is always, you know, well, what if I have, you know, what's the probability of me having multiple attackers? And it's, it's not always just about, you know, actual different attackers, but like the dynamics, once you start explaining the dynamics of a, of an actual shooting, right. Like, and, and, and you start moving or they're moving and you start realizing, okay, I'm kind of doing the same things when like, we'll, we'll talk about how shifting your weight and things when, when, when you're tracking a target, right. Or tracking a, a threat um, is similar to when the same type of movement, if you're not moving and they are, um, as you shoot somebody who moves is the same sort of, uh, body mechanics that you're using when you transfer transition from this target to a target over here. So, um, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, the, the best way to set this up, if you want to get them, like what I think correlates the most directly to, shooting a moving target is to set up multiple targets where you fire one shot at each, you know, moving laterally, right? Because there's also practice we can do where we can have multiple targets set up and then we can actually bounce around randomly between them, which is also good and interesting practice to get in. But the most realistic thing in terms of like, what are we most likely to encounter in a real life shooting is a target that's moving laterally in some way or some form. And as we move from target acquisition to target acquisition, you're firing a shot here, shot here, shot there. You're not doing, it's not two rounds per site or between two rounds per target acquisition. Cause it, cause you, that, that would be unrealistic as to how uh, people, you know, run and move. Now, <clears throat> the other thing here to note is that, how likely are you to need the skill to shooting shoot a moving target? And I'd say if there's ever a sure thing in a lot of self-defense shootings, it's probably shooting a target that is, is moving or is perceived to be moving. It's rare, <clears throat> except for in like the instances where I think it's, it's over and done with so fast. Like, you know, relatively close quarters, gun is drawn very quickly, one, two, three shots fired very quickly before the other person even has the chance to realize what's happening. Um, that's That certainly is possible. It does, does happen sometimes. But more often than not, most, this is true of officer-involved shootings with body cam footage that we see. This is true of surveillance footage of robberies of, of convenience stores, uh, carjackings, all sorts of things that we come across, right? So the ability to track a target 
and your in the relationship of your sights to that target and fire good shots, get good hits on that moving target, I think is a very relevant skill. It's just something that's a lot more difficult for many of us to actually set up and practice realistically. So transitions, next best thing. All right. How can we get more efficient with transitions? The first thing that I'll say, and I'll, and I'll turn this over to you relatively quickly, Matthew. Um, I'm just going to prime the pump, so to speak. And that is getting into a decent stance right now. I'm pretty careful when I talk about stance in the way I train people, the way I teach my classes. Um, But the the fact of the matter is like there's some principles related to so-called stance that do and should exist if we're going to be effective. And by that, one of the first things is, Lowering our center of gravity, right? Keep keep in mind again, in an actual shooting, <clears throat> if we're st- you know, like chances are we're not standing very straight up and erect. Um, and if we are, that's also not a good thing, right? We should fix ourselves if that's the case. So uh, we should get used to and train ourselves to lower our center center of gravity some. Now, I hand it over to you, like when I say lower your center of gravity as it relates to stance, uh, what does that mean to you, Matthew? Yeah, I got a low center of gravity to begin with. I'm shorter, but, um, but yeah, obviously like when we're fighting or when we're trying to run, like if you think about running or or doing anything before, you know, you sort of lower your center of gravity and then you you start to move. Right. Cause like um, athletically speaking, you know, when our center of gravity is up high or when it's out, it, it's, it, we don't have a stable base. It's hard for us to, to get started, you know, uh, on a run or a sprint or, or to start moving. So, um, when we lower our center of gravity, as far as maybe widening our base just a bit, um, not, not to the point where, you know, you're an unnatural position, but like, um, maybe wider than your average, just I'm standing there talking to someone, right? My feet are maybe a little bit wider. Um, My knees are a little bit, a little bent. So now it puts me in a position where I can more effectively um, begin to do a whole bunch of things, whether I have to move laterally, whether I have to just rotate my hips, everything starts becoming easier once um, I, I kind of get in a good, a, a better position, right? Facilitates it better. Like I'm, I'm with you. Like I don't want to say somebody get in when isosceles stance. That's not what I'm saying at all, because obviously we're talking about a dynamic situation, right? Um, but it, it, when we're trying to um, facilitate movement or facilitate whether we're physically moving or just moving our upper body by using our hips and, and, and things, different body position. Um, we should be, to be in a better position for that to happen. We're naturally going to have a couple things happen with our stance, widen it a little bit, lower center of gravity, uh, bend, bend your knees. You're kind of getting on maybe on, on more on the, on the, on the balls of your feet rather than on the heels. Um, just think of an athletic, uh, an athletic stance, right? I, I, I think that kind of sums, sums up that, um, that concept. Yeah. Right away, just from bending our knees and lowering our center of gravity, even widening our, widening our stance somewhat will <clears throat> automatically allow us to use more of, to engage more of the body to help us with that transition. If we're relying more on the upper body and especially like the arms and the shoulders to turn and, and to address targets, then not only is it less, um, you'll actually feel more tension build up in your body by doing that because you're basically torsioning your upper body away from the lower part of the body. So you're 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 not you're not allowing your body to work together. You're you're isolating whole sections of your body more, and that just makes it it's less it's less efficient. Okay, by Widening our stance, bending our knees a little bit more, uh, lowering our center of gravity, all of a sudden we can engage our legs and our hips a lot better and a lot easier to make those transitions. You know, if you talk about others, you know, if we made some like uh, 
comparisons to sports and sports training, Matthew, like just from uh, like I, I will use uh, baseball and golf mm-hmm. as two examples because they both involve a swing. Uh, tennis could fall into this as well. Um, but I was very, you know, I played a lot of baseball and I played a lot of golf, especially growing up. And, you know, that's one thing that any, any slugger recognizes with respect to swinging a bat, hitting a ball, hitting that, you know, sweet spot and hitting a home run. Uh, you, you, you generate power from your hips and your lower body, um, not just from your arms. Uh, same thing with a golf swing, right? All that power comes primarily from your, your body, your lower, your, excuse me, your lower body. Um, you're pushing into the ground with your feet. You are twisting, you're turning, you're torsioning, you're, you're just, you're, you're generating all of that. You know, when I'm, when I'm thinking about my golf swing, to me, I think of it like I'm winding up a, uh, a rubber band on the, on the, you know, as I come back in the swing, right? I'm just like winding up all that energy. And I'm storing that energy in my lower body and then it's time to go and you snap and you release it and that comes through and just like, just like other forms of elastic energy, uh, you generate that initial acceleration, it swings through, you continue following through and then you kind of get on the backside of that elastic energy and you kind of wind yourself up the other way um, as it kind of decelerates, if you will. Um, which is better than trying to go to a point like nobody swings a baseball bat, right? And swings for the ball and then tries to stop the bat at the precise location to hit the ball. Um, num- number one, it'd be impossible to do. Uh, and number two, you'd lose all you're, you'd lose all that energy. You want that energy to swing through that ball, and that's what's going to generate the power. So, anyway, a little bit of a sidebar there to just simply explain that by engaging our lower body, we now can use more of that lower body in to help us in that transition. So, and what uh, my, my good buddy, Charlie Perez explained to me, and I hadn't considered this and discovered it to be true. Uh, I mean, I've heard terminology like this talked about. I've even, you know, repeated a lot of this in classes I've taught through the years, but you know, you, you hear the terminology with transitions, Matthew, about like driving the gun. And that the driving of the gun should come from that lower body. Um, first of all, I'm going to issue a caution about driving is fine, but that sometimes leads to overdriving and that can cause some problems. Um, but also uh, really here's the reason why we want to drive from the lower body. If you try to just swing the gun with your upper body, over from target A to target B, you'll have a lot more difficult time stopping precisely on target B. You'll tend to overswing it. Okay. And so if we engage the lower body, then we can actually be a little bit more precise in that. Okay. Get the body to work together. Um, not just having the arms and the, and the shoulders isolated. And you now we're going to get into other things about transitions that this all, you know, this all has to function as a package, right? Um, nothing, you know, nothing we're talking about here exists in isolation, but uh, this is just the first piece. Bending the knees, widening the stance, lowering the center of gravity, engaging the lower body as we're driving from target to target. And it's going to make it that, that one thing alone will solve a lot of problems. Sure. Now, um, we should talk a little bit about how we position our body in relation to the targets that we're shooting. Any thoughts on that, Matthew? Yeah. So obviously, and here's here, this is like one of those, a number and you'll, you'll pick up on it and uh, right away as well. Uh, a lot of people that have been either taught in the military, how to shoot or been to like some formal classes talking about natural point of aim. Like we do have a natural point of aim where, naturally where our body is aligned, where we're standing, if we were just to bring the gun up where it naturally wants to go. Right. Um, and oftentimes that gets wrapped around like natural point of aim, as far as like, well, you need natural point of aim in everything you do shooting wise, or you can't shoot or, or it becomes like this central, uh, fundamental of, of all types of shooting. And, 
Um, when I mention what I mean by natural point of aim is if you're transitioning between, you know, a target that's the two targets or the target is moving, you know, 30 feet across uh, horizontally, right. Or laterally. Um, and you're, you know, relatively close to the target, you're going to have to move or transition quite a distance in your natural point of aim that where your body naturally aligns is not going to be within that, that kind of field of fire, right? If it, um, it's kind of outside of a, a outside of that pie shaped um, field of where your body naturally is aligned, right? Or, or has some alignment to it before it starts to become um, kind of prohibitive or not, or makes it more difficult to be fundamental with your, with your alignment. So um, mm -hmm. we can get a, to a certain point with our hips and, and with our body just kind of positioning and moving like that. But once, once those transitions become really wide, um, that natural point of aim uh, or our body's natural ability to, to go outside those parameters kind of uh, um, becomes hindered. So um, I, I, I think the question was like, how do we, how, you know, what, what do we do as far as nat uh, naturally aiming or, or orienting ourselves towards the target? And um, it's sort of, you, you know, you can do some things, obviously dropping the hips or dropping your weight a little bit helps. Um, maybe turning out a little bit of your, of, of your feet a little bit out. So you're not like pigeon toed so much, but um, you know, if you notice um, somebody who drops, just think of, you know, you guys shooting, if you drop your right foot back just slightly behind your left foot, you'll probably be able to, to move a little bit easier to your right than or a little further to your right before it becomes an issue than to your left because you've opened up your hips. So if you can do that a little bit with your feet positioning, um, that that's, that's a good thing too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let me touch on something there related to natural point of aim. <clears throat> a lot of times I think people say natural point of aim and they misconstrue it to, be, to mean something that it, that it doesn't, in my opinion. Um, people will talk about, sometimes this comes up in the conversation about talking about different guns. Like, like someone will, I've heard, I've seen this comment before where someone's like, well, I don't like Glocks because, um, I always tend to aim, you know, high or something with them mm -hmm. because of natural point of aim or something like that. And I, I don't really ascribe to, um, the terminology natural point of aim as it relates to what I'm doing with my hands. Um, I think that's, uh, more of a finer fine motor skill level and and i think it's also something that can be trained in a person so um i, I think that you can reprogram your brain essentially to um you know to, to change the angle that you hold things at and affect how a gun points for you but where i do think natural point of aim comes into play and, and let me define what i believe natural point of aim to be Natural point of aim, I believe, is a it's a it's our twelve o'clock position. Like if if we're you know, if we were to look at us from a top down view and you know, twelve o'clock is straight ahead and you know, one, two, three, four, all the way around the clock, right? <clears throat> Three hundred and sixty degrees, our twelve o'clock position is simply where we have the least amount of of tension in the body laterally, if that makes sense. Like if you think about it, the reason why it feels the most natural for me to stand a certain way. And then like, if I just, if I closed my eyes and just punched my hands out or my gun out, the reason why I would settle on, on a pretty consistent location is because that's where I have the least amount of tension. Right? So if, then if, if I try to go a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right, the the body doesn't naturally want to do that as much because that, you know, either one way or another, I have a little more tension somewhere in the body. So a natural point of aim is simply a neutral position where there's the least amount of tension so that wherever I'm bringing those arms forward with my gun in hand, like that direction be, is the most naturally uh, uh, inclined direction to point. So that's how I define natural point of aim. Now, um, natural point of aim 
tends to be remain true for a person, re, although it can be changed a little bit based on how we, uh, based on things like our foot positioning, right? If I bring my foot, my right foot forward slightly from where it normally is on me, it's going to influence that natural point of aim a little bit to the left, okay? Because as I bring that right foot forward, it's changed, like the way my body works, you know, it, it, it ends up changing where my hips want to naturally point, which means that's where everything else wants to point. So I don't know, I'm having a hard time finding some of the words that I, that I probably should be using, but it is what it is. <clears throat> so there's also, so, okay. And here's the other thing, like regardless of where my toes are pointing. Okay. So this is really more about like a relationship of hips to legs, to shoulders type sort of discussion that regardless of where my toes are pointing, where my, where and how my legs are positioned and there, and by, by default to that, my hips, my hip positioning, that's going to determine kind of where my natural point of aim is regardless of where my toes are pointing. But if I point my toes, like for instance, if I point my toes straight ahead to the target, I'm going to have reduced lateral motion, okay? Because as I swing, say, to the right or to the left, uh, I'm going to end up swinging out over my feet, and that's just going to, you're going to have a little bit of increased tension in your legs, your, particularly like your knees. You'll feel it in your knees. If I open my toes up, I'll have instantly a little more lateral motion, because now that my hips are opened up, right, and I have to travel further to get up, get out over my toes, okay? Um, if I turn my feet inward, you're going to feel like you're going to see very quickly that, and we'll define this as your cone of fire. I've used in the past uh, terminology like sector of fire, um, but that can get be misconstrued in some ways. I think cone of fire is a great way of putting it, and that's what Charlie Perez uses. So by opening up my hips, I increase my cone of fire. That means the range in which I can move my gun in terms of degrees, okay? So we did a, a little, he did an exercise with me where I just stood in like what my natural, like how I normally like to stand if I was just to stand there and then be asked to draw a gun in a very natural, neutral stance, um, what would my cone of fire be like? And it was like 30 degrees, maybe 25, maybe even it was fairly narrow, but then simply by opening up my feet, widening my hips or, or opening up my hips um, widening my stance and bending my knees that went from like 25, 30 degrees to like 50, 60 degrees. Maybe, no, maybe even close. No, it's probably more than that. It's probably more like 90 degrees. Okay. So that's a big difference. And that also means that it's a lot easier for me to transition from target A to target B with, and I'm working less hard against myself. My body is more supporting this action that I'm trying to take as far as moving the gun uh in a lateral position does that make sense i hope yeah, i can you there yeah no and this is why and this is why i kind of prefaced um like when we started to say you know it's not impossible to shoot uh laterally right like if you have a if you're pigeon staying say you're pigeon toed right it's not impossible we're not you're not saying that it's po impossible we're just what you're what you're saying is to be efficient remember like and this is why it's important to remember the context of wh why efficiency is important to be efficient and in ultimately to be effective in these types of things we want to facilitate a, a more simple and natural and and easier path to shoot right with our body using our bodies for us not against us and so um that's why somebody could be listening and be like oh, okay well you're talking about turning your feet like you know to get an extra 30 degrees like can i just swing the gun sure you could just swing the gun over but it's not going to be as efficient and it's going to take a little bit you're, you're kind of um fighting against yourself so to make it easier these are the this this is why you know so mm -hmm. 
I hope that makes sense. And so much of it just comes down to <clears throat> what are the strategies and the ways that I can engage my lower body more uh, so that I'm not relying so much on just my arms doing the work. Mm-hmm. And if we rely on our arms just doing the work, we will put ourselves in positions where we are less balanced, and that's going to affect recoil management. So our shooting will also suffer in terms of just maintaining control on the gun in relation to a target. And as we mentioned earlier, that you'll have a greater tendency of swinging past your targets on your transitions when you're relying more just on the arms to make those transitions. And so if you're swinging past, well, then your, your accuracy on those transitions, you know, particularly on that first shot as you come over to another target is going to be less good uh, because you'll be able to stop less precisely on the target. Now let's talk about stopping precisely on a target. There's something else here that needs to be engaged and it has nothing to do with our legs, our arms, our hips, our shoulders. It uses something else entirely. Matthew, you have a sense for where I'm going with that? Probably your eyes. Yes. Yeah, your eyes. Well, tell me, give me your thoughts on what your eyes and your vision should be doing when we're transitioning. Yeah, so obviously um, you, you can't really shoot until you, you know, you can see what you're shooting at, right? Like that's a fundamental uh, part of shooting. But so, but if we can, if, and so I, I want to like try to be careful how I say this, but like when we transition, a lot of people will say lead with your eyes and, and, and that's, that's true, but it doesn't mean that we turn our head and leave the gun behind and then look at the target, figure out where we want, and then bring the gun over. All it means is we're not keeping our eyes, you know, slaved to our sights and moving this whole picture all at once and trying to stop it once the once our our, our sights get over top of the 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 acceptable hit zone. What it means is our eyes are leading just ever so slightly in front of our. It, it, you know, so our, our eyes are leading over to where we want to shoot as the gun is is following closely behind. So as soon as our eyes are fixated on where we want, the gun sights are almost almost simultaneously merging up and we're kind of uh, ready to go rather than, um, you know, looking over there, like I said, looking over there, acquiring your sights leaving the gun behind and then bringing it over and starting your aiming process all over um, on the new, on the new site picture and the new threat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the whole, like, you know, the eyes should lead the gun thing comes into play because the other tendency, it's like the flip side of the coin of what you just described is where you'll see this more commonly with novice shooters. The first time they, they do transitions where they'll kind of move their eyes and their head and the gun all together as sort of like one unit. And we talk, we often talk about how the upper body should be able to function a little bit like the turret of a tank. It's especially true if we're shooting while moving. We need that upper body to be a little bit more isolated from, you know, the legs are focused on doing the moving and my upper body needs to be able to turn and move and address targets wherever they may be located. And so, like that example of, hey, body like a turd of a tank. Okay, sounds good. But then, then some some shooters will take that too literally when it comes to transitions, and they'll move the head and the eyes together with the arms and the gun from target to target. And that's also you're going to be behind the power curve when you do that. You'll you'll swing past targets, absolutely for sure, because you cannot process visually the information of where your next target is quickly enough to then you know, to be able to, to re- recognize where that is and bring everything together to that point on the target. Um, so the, the, the correct way to do it and you, you touched on this, Matthew is that our eyes need to get there first. Um, but, but how we avoid doing it incorrectly when we're leading with our eyes first is the, the truth of this is proper uh, transitions means your eyes and the gun 
pull away off the target, the target that you're leaving from, your eyes and the gun pull off the target at the same time. And this is going to be after the shot's fired, okay? Because you're transitioning from target A, let's say, to target B. I've made the mistake, by the way, uh, and it happens, and it's kind of a it's a timing thing somewhat. It's also where you're, you're, you're trying to rush yourself as opposed to actually see the shot process and calling shots. Um, and what I mean by that is that where I've, I've done it more, more than once, more than I care to many times where my eyes will start coming off the target that I'm still shooting because I'm already thinking, I want to get over to this other target, to this other place. And you sometimes will then that'll cause you to, Either well, either one shoot a, a bad shot on that, you know, a bad second shot on that target. Let's say in the, in the context of a shooting match, or sometimes you'll tend to pull the gun off with your eyes a little bit early as you're firing that shot, and you'll just outright miss like entirely. I've I've done that. So the key is that we are we stay completely engaged in that shot process on target A until that final shot is fired, and then once we see that. Our cue, this is the cue for me, should be that I see the gun lift. I see my sights lift on that final shot on target A, and that's the cue to go, oh, now target B. Okay. Now, so both eyes and gun should leave the target at the same time. The eyes don't have to work so hard to get over to target B. So they are automatically guaranteed to get there sooner. Because it doesn't, it takes very little for us to shift eyes from point A to point B. The arms bringing the gun over, it's going to take a little more time. So, eyes and gun leave target the same, you know, target one at the same time. But eyes are going to get the target two a little ahead of the gun, and we need to get on that target, identify precisely where we want to see our sight come to. Okay, it's easy to actually get um, kind of in this mode of um, of of sort of just looking at a target generally, you know what I mean? Like you're just kind of like, I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to articulate this, but I I I recognize it in myself when I do it. Where I'm not really looking at a specific point on target. I just kind of recognize the target's there, and if I just put my gun over there, it's gonna be all fine. And that's not true. If we want precision and precision in our transitions, so in our transitions as well as in our shooting, then my eyes leave from target A, they go to target B, and they go to a specific point on target B, and then it's actually quite naturally, or it's quite natural for my hands and arms to bring the gun to that point on the target. All right. So if you do that, I promise you this will work. Now, as Matthew and I are doing this podcast, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here running the computer and all this other stuff behind the scenes. Uh, it's really not that complex, but it's, it is easy for me to get distracted, but I'm jumping, you know, say like we have some show notes over here that I'm pulling up. I'm going to use this example of where I'm going to go from this, this point on, on my show notes. Okay. On an outline. And I'm going to come back over here to where I have a comment from Scott from Michigan saying late to the party. Greetings from mid Michigan. Hey, Scott, welcome. And as I am, navigating my computer screen, I'm moving my mouse cursor around. And that in of itself is just like a transition that I would be making with my gun. Now, it, it's it's different in that, no, yes, I'm not moving a whole gun. I'm not moving my whole arms. I'm only having to move my hand like an inch or two on a mouse pad with a mouse. But the concept of me looking here at Scott's comment and then coming back over to my show notes to look at what we're going to give away to, and maybe even highlight that with my mouse cursor for our weekly prize giveaway. Okay. Which we'll announce the winner of he, let's see, he won some nine millimeter dummy rounds. Okay. From Throom, formerly Newbold. All right. I can go from there back over to Scott's comment in Facebook just like that. That's all I'm doing is my eyes are moving from point A to point B and the hand is just simply guiding that cursor to where I'm looking. We do this very thing on a daily basis and we don't even think about it or recognize what we're doing and we move that mouse cursor with incredible precision. 
So I've actually just tried to mentally think through shooting problems, meaning I, like, I'm going to shoot a, a multi-target drill and I will just try to put myself in that mindset of this is just like I'm moving my cursor from target A to target B to target C. And my cursor is either my iron sights or it's the dot in, in my red dot optic on my pistol. And it, that it, 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 you, we, we don't have to overthink this. All right. And we don't have to overdrive, meaning like put, you know, all this extra effort into doing it. Okay. Cause we put very little effort into moving that mouse around. Yes. We have a two pound gun, let's say in our hands or whatever. And we're trying to move it from here to here, but don't overthink it. Don't overdrive it. Get our lower body engaged. Okay. And then just make sure that we are leaving target a and the gun at the same time, once our final shot's been fired and then let the eyes guide us over to target B and it'll work. Yeah. And, and I think if, if this is brand new and if you've, you haven't shot transitions like that before, um, I mean, my recommendation would be to start at a moderate pace. That's, it's not super challenging, but that, that isn't just, um, you know, really slow because if you're just going really slow and you don't kind of uh, have any sort of um, speed to it, then you, you may be circumventing this kind of process um, from ha- from taking place. So, you know, push yourself a little bit uh, initially, but make sure that you're not going super, you know, 110% of your speed if if you're just trying because you might you know you want to you want to get the the principles down correctly and be able to to isolate like if if something's not going right rather than just trying to go you know full bore um with an, with the, you know something like this so not not that it's any safety issue just as far as fundamentally programming you know starting to to um program in your head how these site pictures look and how um, different, you know, lowering your body weight uh, just a little bit might help. Maybe too much, you become uncomfortable, right? And then you can't, it, it also could be a hindrance. So um, just kind of work on it little by little and something you can, you could definitely, obviously, because of the uh, shooter rate challenge, you can dry fire this in, in your mm-hmm. home. You don't have to wait till you get out to the range. Yep. And that was the whole key of this month's shooter rate challenge was to show you guys how to how to practice this effectively in dry fire, right? Again, we're all concerned about ammo consumption. And I think you can learn a lot about transitions right in the comfort of your own home doing dry fire practice. Mm-hmm. I did want to address a couple of things that came up in the comments here today. I know you kind of answered one, Matthew, but I think it's relevant to the rest of the audience. Uh, Scott asked earlier, isn't there an issue if the target is moving away? Because we talked about how this is relevant in in that hey you know shooting a threat is most likely going to be moving somewhat in some fashion okay it could be a high rate of speed it could be a relatively low rate of speed it could be at a at an oblique angle which they may be moving very fast but due to moving away or towards and also laterally it's going to give a perception of of slower speed and then he said doesn't that decrease the immediate threat if their target's moving away well I'm not talking about whether, like, honestly, if they are moving away or not is not the most relevant factor. It's, is a threat still a threat, right? So they could be moving away. They could be shooting over their shoulder. They could be kind of moving somewhat, you know, backwards. Like they're almost like retreating on their feet, but they're still generally facing your direction while they shoot you. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many different possibilities here to this type of context, Scott. So just don't, don't like, in other words, don't automatically think that just because somebody's running away means that they are automatically no longer a threat. That's, that's not the determining factor. Whether, whether they're moving. I mean, it is a factor. It's just not the determining factor. Does that make sense? So let the focus be on, is there a threat? Is there an articulatable, articulable, 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 is that right? Can you articulate if there's a threat present? Uh, and, and that's going to be de- depending on, you know, what weapon they have or are using. Uh, it's going to depend on all kinds of things, but especially be weapon 
you know, oriented in that decision-making is, uh, is the way I see it. So, I mean, if I, if I was dealing with a common, you know, street robber and he acts like he's armed, but he, he never actually displays anything. And he just simply walks up and says, Hey man, give me your wallet or give me your phone or whatever. Um, but then I, for whatever reason, you know, take action against him and that causes him to run away. And I never see a weapon come out of his pockets or in his hand or anything like that. Well then, yeah, I mean, I don't see, I don't perceive an actual weapon. He's running away. Well, that may determine that he's no longer a threat a lot more differently than if the dude's running away with a gun as he's firing blindly over his shoulder. Um, Tim said he also thinks of transitions from larger center mass to either smaller head or pelvic area. If center mass doesn't stop the threat, possibly, you know, implying that they could be wearing body armor. That is fair. And yes, those are also transitions or they're types of transitions. So I didn't talk about it in that context because um, everything, you know, what we talked about here today was more of a general sense, just the idea of transitions from target to target, whether you're transitioning from a high, you know, uh, thoracic cavity to their face, it's still a transition. So yes, everything that we just talked about here today applies, except that in those instances, we're transitioning vertically as opposed to horizontally. Right. So we're, we're not changing our, um, the, some of the stuff where we were saying about your cone of fire is not really as much applicable in that instance, but anyway, so yeah, good thoughts guys. Uh, thanks for your comments and your questions here today. We need to wrap it up uh, and get to announcing our giveaway winner and also tease next week's giveaway prize. So again, today we're announcing the winner of a five pack of nine millimeter Throom brand dummy rounds. Matthew has gone into the software and generated <laughs> one lucky winner randomly. Who might that be? Yes, sir. Well, uh, the winner is Matthew C. Matthew C., uh, congratulations. You have won the dummy rounds. Awesome. Yeah. Congrats, Matt C. Yep, yep, yep. All right. And uh, you want me to tell them what they're in, what's in the running for next week? Of course. What are we giving away next week? A laser dot trainer, laser dot trainer from Ready Up Gear. Yeah, this is the laser dot training cartridge. <laughs> so this is, uh, you know, you drop this into the chamber of your gun. And by the way, the winner, I, I believe, can choose whether they, because we have those available in 380, 9mm, 40, and 45. All right. If you have something other than those cartridges, I apologize, but those are the ones we have available. Um, but the Ready Up Gear laser dot training cartridge is uh you know it's 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 the most basic level of equipment that you would need to use something like laser x software so awesome next week that's what we'll give away matthew how do folks uh get signed up for the giveaway yeah so uh if you're on facebook we normally we uh share the the link to our page um where you can sign up. We normally post it every, um, I don't know. I, I normally get on there, uh, pretty quickly to update the giveaways. And so, um, let me pull up the actual, um, so I can give you the actual, um, URL. It oh, is you just go to, uh, it's concealed forward slash podcast prize. Give it. Podcast prize. There we go. I just didn't know if there was a there's a slash or anything. Podcast that, prize. That's what you call a short link or a pretty link. You could go to the website and give them the link, but it would be uh, a lot longer than concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. There we go. Um, so that that redirects to the actual link, which makes it far easier for us to give things like links over the air. Uh, make it easy and memorable. So guys head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize and sign up for the weekly giveaway for your chance to win a ready up gear laser dot trainer. 
So with that, we're going to sign on out of here and let you all go again. Um, we'll be back here in a little bit with another episode. It'll be me and Jacob this time. Uh, look forward to actually talking about the mindset that a self-defense minded individual should have based around an article that, that uh, Jacob recently published and I think is, is pretty good and spot on. Yep. So good topic. look forward to that. Matthew, thank you for being here for this one. Thank you, brother. And so, guys, until next time, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Mm-hmm.